My name is Shelly McCarran, and I'm involved with the women's ministry here at Thornton. And I get to read our scripture this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And it's under the heading, For to us a child is born. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thanks, Shelley. My name is Zach Thompson, and uh, I am on staff here at Calvary Bible Church. Excited to be with all of you in this, our first uh, Christmas season together as a church. It is, it is really exciting. I keep talking about it, and I hope that that shows how excited I am about what God has done over this past year. Uh, January 17th, our first day that we had doors open, inviting people in, uh, coming up on one year together. It's been, it's been really cool to get to be with you all this past year. And, and we get into this really busy season for all of us as a church, as individuals. It's that last push before Christmas is here, and there's probably a lot weighing on us to get ready before we're ready for Christmas. Uh, maybe there's multiple gatherings that we have this week, and so we have to make sure all of our festive attire is, is ready to go. We might have baking or cooking to have done, maybe cleaning if we are hosting any part of this. And uh, my prayer is that none of you find yourself in this position, but maybe some last-minute shopping uh, that you just had a thought come to your mind, oh, that's right. I have a spouse. Uh, hopefully none of you are in that spot uh, to, to be there. But others of you might have been ready for weeks, months now. And so I, I have some questions, and, and these are some of the ones where I actually want answers to give you a heads up there. So uh, who thinks that they have had uh, all of their Christmas decor up the earliest? So if you think that you have uh, an exceptionally early date when your house is fully decorated, for Christmas. Uh, I want to hear some of those dates. What are, what are some of your answers? Who thinks that they were the earliest? October. October. Are we talking early October, late October? Mid-October. Mid so October 15th-ish. Anyone beat that? Uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's not really preparation. I, I would call that a lack of preparation. <laughs> because that's not taking things down. Uh, anyone around October, anyone can beat that? 
What about uh, Christmas tree? Who had their Christmas tree up the earliest? Is, is it still mid-October? Oh, wow. Yep, yep, that's right. I'm, I'm guessing and I'm, I'm hoping that's not a real tree in that, in that case. With my dad being a fireman, there's some anxiety going on in my life if that's the case. Uh, what about uh, Christmas shopping? Who was done with that the earliest? I'm seeing some people who are like, this does not apply to me. Uh, yeah, tomorrow, that, that works, yes. Anyone can beat tomorrow as being done with Christmas shopping. So it, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of preparation that needs to be done. And, and what I've found, uh, I'm one who shops early. I'm one who uh, tries to have decor done early because th- there's so much that goes on in this time. And, and if I'm not prepared properly, well, I could miss part of the season. I could just feel rushed. Uh, parts of it could just fall by the wayside. And, and I've noticed that in this new role that I've had, Emily and I have some traditions and, and we're at a point where we haven't had those traditions yet just because of all that's been going into it. And it's, it's really pulling me out of the season. So I found like the more prepared that you could be for Christmas, the better. And so what I want to talk about today is the preparation that goes into all of this, not just being ready by mid-October, but with Jesus coming to seek and save the lost, the preparation that went into that, well, that goes all the way back to the very beginning. It wasn't as though God was in a gas station at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve wondering, what do I get humanity? Ah, I guess forgiveness for sins will do. No, this is something that was prepared for well in advance, and it goes to the very beginning of all things. God created humans to be with him in this perfect place where there was no injustice, no pain, no hardships. It was just relationship with him. God was with his people, and his people were with God. It was beautiful, and it was wonderful until humanity decided to rebel against God to go against this God who gave all things, who provided all things, who was all things. And this meant that we could no longer be as close to this God who who cannot be around sin, but it's not as though this relationship was the only thing that was impacted. We were as well. We are designed to be with this God. We need to be with this God. And without that possible, we didn't just damage this relationship. We damaged ourselves. We were less than what we were meant to be. And Genesis 3 talks about the impact of all of this. It's everything was infected by this. The, the ground was infected. Work uh, became not the joy-filled thing that was meant to be, but it was a hardship to us. Relationships with other people were damaged. Everything was impacted by this initial rebellion. And that's our story for today. Excited to see you all on Friday for Christmas Eve. Let me pray to close us out. How grateful are we that that is not the end of the story? As God moves from giving us everything that we deserve, the punishment for sin, the consequences of rebellion, to giving us everything that we don't deserve, hope. Genesis 3, 15 says this. It says, I, this is God, will put enmity, this is opposition, this is war, this is going against each other. Between you, God says to this serpent, this uh, that we will find out later is Satan, those who go against God's people, those who drive us further away from God. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the midst of this passage full of pain and hurt and sorrow, there is hope. One will come who will be wounded, but in that act will damage, will mortally injure the seed of this one who pushes people away from God, who keeps us constantly away from him. In this passage, there is hope. One will come who is the serpent crusher. And so we read from Genesis 3 on wondering, is this the one? Is this the one who was promised? Is this the serpent crusher? And so we get to stories like that of Noah. This whole world is following the way of the serpent, and yet God singles out to this one person to be saved. This must be him, right? But he too goes away from God. And we are still left wondering and waiting. We get to someone like Abraham. This has to be him. He leaves his homeland. He leaves where he grew up, everything he knew to follow this God. We see story of his faith time and time again. And yet he too falls astray also time and time again. But we are not left without hope In that story either, there is a promise given to Abraham that through your family line, that one will come, not only to bless you and and your family, but the whole world. All right, so that's easy. We just need to follow Abraham's family to find the serpent crusher. And yet we go person to person and we keep seeing people who follow the way of the serpent, who aren't following after him. And we get all the way to the end of this first book, the book of Genesis, and we're no closer to finding out who this is. And yet right at the close of Genesis, there is a promise given to one of Abraham's great-grandsons, a man named Judah, who is told from your family line will come a ruler who will put an end to all their enemies, all those who go against God's people, who will crush the serpent. All right, so we get a little bit closer to it, but after that, we don't hear anything. In fact, Israel, God's people, are enslaved for 400 years, and so God rescues them out of that. But after God does this tremendous thing, these people rebel against him. I mean, it's a family tradition, after all, to go against God. And what is Christmas if not just following traditions? But there's consequences for that. So God, again, rescues them, and then they rebel, and there's this cycle that keeps being repeated over and over and over again. And when you're caught in a cycle like that, where is the hope? Where is the one who is promised to make all things right, to restore things as they were, where we were with God and God was with his people? Where is the serpent crusher? Well, God sets Israel up in a land that would be their own. It's this tremendous blessing that he gives to them, and and they demand to have a king like all the other nations. God was initially opposed to this. They they picked a king to to be their own, and and things went real bad. And so God picked a king for them. And you got to think, if God's the one picking this one, God even calls this person after his own heart. This has to be him, right? This has to be the serpent crusher. And yet David continues to follow the way of the serpent instead. He's better than most at times, but he's still not enough to give lasting hope. And so where do we turn then? If this one who is said to be after God's own heart can't even do this, if he can't give us hope, well, where else can we go? 
But we are told something. David, you descendant of Judah, you descendant of Abraham, you descendant of Eve, the initial one to whom this promise was given all the way back in Genesis 3, that ruler will come through your family line and not just bless people, not just put an end to enemies, but be a ruler forever. This doesn't have to be repeated again. They will rule forever. All right, so then we look through David's family line at these kings who are to come to see who will the serpent crusher be. And yet we look through all of David's descendants and just about all of them are awful. Uh, But then we get to a point of good news and bad news. The good news is we reach a point where there are no more bad kings of Israel. The bad news is that's because there's no more kings in Israel. Because Israel's pattern of rebelling against God of going against him and the consequences for that, well, we got to worse and worse consequences. Israel lost the land. They lost following after God. They lost his special protection and provision over them. Every time in their rebellion, they said, we know what's better. We set the standard for our lives and they got everything they wanted and they were miserable. But just before we got to that point of all those consequences, someone comes, someone arrives. This man is a prophet, someone who speaks for God, and we know this person as Isaiah. We have a book in the Bible called Isaiah, and it's it's warning of everything that we talked about, all of those consequences, all of that separation, that will come. And yet, also Isaiah is a book of tremendous hope. I mean, even take uh, Isaiah chapter 8, right before the passage that we read, it's, it's talking about in this area, in the northern part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, that this place was uh, going apart from God, and there were consequences for that, as we've seen. This area was known for being rich for agriculture, but more important than that, it was along major trade routes. So when something is is such a prized land, it's fought over constantly. And so it would get conquered, and and that nation would move some of their people in, and that, that would get conquered. And so it was this hodgepodge community of people that were going further and further away from God. And we've seen there's punishment for that. And that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 8 warns. In 8 verse 22, it says, And they, the people of this region around Galilee, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That is a passage of pain, of isolation, of hurt, of sorrow. The Bible often uses this imagery of darkness as as being apart from God, that all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 3, that we are thrust into darkness because we are away from this God. And this area is so far gone, is so far separated from Him, that it is as though they're just in darkness. And the same thing for us. When we are trying to navigate our way through, just trying to grasp on to something to hold on to, more often than not, we plow straight into a wall. But, and that's how Isaiah chapter 9 starts, but God 
will make things right. God will restore things. God will work in this very area that has drifted from him. God will call in this very area someone who will come and restore things. God will work here to take that darkness and turn it to light. And that's the passage that we read earlier. Behold, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. That pain and brokenness in the darkness has been replaced with joy. And we had two illustrations of the depth of this joy that, that Shelley read for us. We, we saw that of the harvest, this time of meeting our physical needs of, of abundance, of, of uh, this time of tremendous joy because our needs have been met. And then we have that of the spoils of war, which uh, I, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but you don't get to start with the spoils of war. Those come afterwards. Those come once victory has been accomplished. The enemy has been defeated. The serpent has been crushed. Joy has been brought in where there once was darkness before. In this very region, this is happening, around the area of Galilee. Well, how does this happen? Who does God work through in this area? Who does God use to break the darkness with light? It is a baby. Look at Isaiah 9, starting in verse 6. It says, For us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and the throne of David over his kingdom. Throne of David, so from that family line to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Well, how can we trust that this will be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we have this promise that is given. The serpent crusher that has been longed for for thousands of years is said to have come. Working in this area that was so far removed from this God, the darkness has been broken by this great light that has come through this child who is born. And we learn so much about this child through the names that are given. He's called Wonderful Counselor. That this person knows the, the right and proper way to go, where, where God's people before constantly chose rebellion, constantly chose to go apart from him, to go away from him, thinking that they knew better. And we see story after story about how that is never true. This person knows the right and proper way to go. Their counsel is wonderful. They're called mighty God. Not just that they know what is good, but that they are actually able to do it. We saw in the story of David, this is someone after God's own heart. They have all the best intentions of the world, and yet David fell short time and time again. That is not the case for this person. They are mighty. They know the right way, and they are able to follow after that. little aside there, they're called mighty God. But how can this one this descendant of Eve, this human be called God. There's only one God. It's interesting. They're called everlasting father. We saw the promise of this ruler comes through Judah. We saw in, in David that this person, this ruler, their throne would be forever. And here is the great hope. 
that this person comes, this serpent crusher comes, and we aren't then, uh, as we follow our family traditions, we don't then rebel and we have to go through this whole thing again. Genesis 3, part 2. No, no, no. They are everlasting. They are forever. They can do this once and for all to bring in hope. And finally, they're called uh, the, the Prince of Peace. That this world that is so broken where there is pain and hardship, where there is injustice, where there is so much uh, that is wrong that we look at, all of that will be righted. Stories of righteousness and forgiveness, of, of goodness and peace, those no longer are newsworthy with this individual because that is the norm of this reality, that this person ushers in peace as the prince of peace. We see all of these names that tell us of this person, this serpent crusher, and yet we hear of one even better back in chapter 7. For there is the promise of a child who is born, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That the cry of every person throughout all of these thousands of years that we've been tracing, where is the serpent crusher, has been, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We were designed to be with God. We need God with us. And here in the book of Isaiah, we have that promise. And oh, what hope does this bring us? Thousands upon thousands of years of people crying out, where is that hope? When will things be made right again? When do we have any sort of, of restoration to how we were made? This, this land, our work, our relationships have all been damaged. Where is the hope for things to be made new again? And we hear the cry of, O come, O come, Emmanuel, is satisfied by this child said in Isaiah. But then, there's about 700 years after Isaiah writes these words. 700 years of waiting. 700 years of pain. 700 years of, of sorrow, 700 years of crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the reason we celebrate at Christmas, the reason we go to all of these gatherings, the reason why we put up with cleaning our house, the reason why we get our, that same house decorated in mid-October, apparently, uh, the reason why we do all of that is we say, Emmanuel, has come. That child has been born. Hope has been given. Darkness has been broken by a great light. Jesus was born to us on this day. Because look at how Jesus starts his ministry. Matthew records this uh, in, in chapter 4 of his gospel. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus starts off his ministry with these words. And now when he heard, this is Jesus, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. It's interesting. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali. So these are two tribes of Israel that were in the area of the Sea of Galilee. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, by, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those who are dwelling in the region in shadow of death, unto them a light is dawn. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The child that all of humanity has been waiting for. Emmanuel, for thousands of thousands of years, we, it's been the plea of everyone to have him come. The serpent crusher has arrived. The hope, the restoration of all things comes through this Jesus. That is what we celebrate together on Christmas. That's why we light candles to break the darkness because we have seen that Jesus has done exactly that. The pain and sorrow and hopelessness of this world has been uh, reconciled. We have been restored to this God who has created us to be with us and every time we rebel against him, we just end up further and further away in more misery. That has been put and into because Jesus has come, Emmanuel has come, the light has broken through the darkness. So why is there still so much hurt in this world? Why do we look out and see so much that is so broken? When we say that there is, there is joy that's been brought in, why do we not feel that there is joy at times? We said that we are reconciled to God, so why do we see people continuing to rebel against him? We're promised joy and hope and peace, so why do we not feel like we have those? We talked about all that's left to prepare for Christmas, and, and we might not be ready yet because we might not feel that we're ready to celebrate anything. We might be weary. We might be broken down. This might not be a season of joy because as we're looking at what's to come, well, it's a time that we don't have someone who is joining with us this year. Or we talk about how this is a time of celebration, but we don't feel like celebrating. We had expectations. We had dreams and goals for this year that still haven't been met. And that's at a normal time around Christmas, those holiday blues that we could have, let alone when we are nearly two years into a pandemic. I had the privilege of, of preaching an Advent message this time of year where we look back at Jesus' first coming and all the promises and all that he has accomplished when he has done that. And in that message uh, back in, in 2019, I was talking how Emily and I were wrapping up a really difficult year for us, that there was hardships and hurts, and how it was really difficult to look forward into the next year and, and get excited. And yet because of the truths that we're talking about in this message and we're talking about back then, that we felt we could once again hope and dream that 2020 would be our year and then, well, you know what happened next. Jesus has come. We're told the darkness has been broken. And so why is this world so broken itself? 
And Christmas is a time where we can see this all the more as we look at this time of celebration and we don't feel like that. I really like how Sam Albury put it. He's a pastor and an author. He says, a season of presumed celebration makes the hardships even more apparent. In other words, how do we sing joy to the world when we do not feel there is any joy? How do we sing peace on earth, goodwill to men when we don't feel there's anything that's demonstrating peace, when we don't see people doing good, so why do we want to wish goodwill on them? How do we celebrate at a time when it doesn't feel like there's anything to celebrate, when instead it feels more like a time of lament? We talked about lament this past summer and how it's often categorized by this question, how long, O Lord? Where rather than celebrating, we're asking that question ourselves. How long will we seek to do great things for your great name, God, and just have them blow up in our face? How long will we see people that that we love, that you love, God, taste death? How long will uh, will we see people turn away from you to something else, to something lesser than you, God? How long will we see sorrow and hardship and injustice in this world when those are things that are so contrary to who you are and what you call us to be? There is just so much that we look in this world and we are supposed We are told that the light has been broken, that our lives are defined by joy and hope and peace, and yet we do not feel that. We look outside the window, and we don't see anything reflecting those truths. And that becomes apparent at Christmas, at the end of the year. And it's why uh, into January, into our next year uh, that we have, we want to to focus. January 9th, we're going to start a series looking at uh, topics of spiritual and mental uh, health and how the Bible speaks to that, that we look out to this world and we want to be honest about the brokenness that's there and want to see how God speaks into that. So at best, I can offer a short-term help, I hope. And it's why we wanted to trace that storyline of the thousands upon thousands of years of people crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, of asking the question, how long, O Lord? We wanted to look at at this coming from the very beginning in Genesis 3, tracing it through to show that this question has been asked repeatedly, and yet it's not a question of historical inquiry It is our plea as well. Our plea as well is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the response to that, the answer to every question of how long, O Lord, will begin in a manger. It reached its climax in Revelation 19 when when God himself returns to bring justice to the world that we so crave. And the lengthy epilogue comes to us in Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 6. It says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Because Jesus has come, those longings of our lives are true. We trace the storyline. We look at those pleading from the very beginning, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and we can have hope. We can rejoice as all the songs say we ought to be doing at this time because the truth, the hope does not come just based off of what family the serpent crusher will come from, but that he has already come. The hope, the excitement, the rejoicing can come, not because we get to hear about what names this child will have, but that he has already been born to us. And because those promises have been kept, we can look forward to this better day that's ahead and trust and hope and have joy even when everything around us does not feel that way. I get so much hope out of a passage like Revelation 21 and Hebrews 12 as we were finishing up our series in Hebrews a couple weeks ago where we saw Mount Zion. As we see all that Jesus does, all that he promises to do, all that he accomplishes here, well, it gives us so much hope to be had. And as I look back on this year, I see another year that has pain in it. I see another year that has unmet expectations. I see another year that, that, that constantly seems to not reflect the life that Jesus has ushered into us. And yet I can once again try to muster up the courage and optimism to dream into the next year, to see those unmet expectations and hopes that I had in this past one and say, God, please make it happen in the next year as I did last year, and the year before, and the year before that. And, and I don't get this optimism. I don't get this joy because of anything in me. Every part of me says, cut bait, cut bait and bail. And yet I look at passages like this, and I have no other option but to hope. Because I have wept, and so I look forward to the wiping away of tears. I have seen death and so I look forward to its removal. I have felt sorrow and hopelessness and loneliness. And so I look forward to them being satisfied. I have needs in me like the thirsty. And so I look forward to that being removed. And yet more than any of those pieces, I look forward to joining in in the thousands and thousands and thousands who have come before me who are alongside me now, who will come after me of pleading, O come, O come, Emmanuel. The darkness has been broken by a great light and we can have joy and hope and peace in a world that does not reflect those things 
because we look forward to a day when that will be true. This time of Advent that we're in, this building up to Christmas, is a time where we look back at the hopes and dreams of those anticipating Jesus' first coming because we are in a similar spot where we are waiting for his second. And yet, as we get to this end of the year, it is a hard time to muster that courage to rejoice. And so I want to leave us with a final quote from a man named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was this great German theologian who, uh, in addition to being an incredible scholar, he was also working against the injustice and pain in his country that was being inflicted by the Nazi party. And he preached these words from, as best I could tell, about a year before he was imprisoned by them and a few years before he was executed by them. This is what he said. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only for those who are troubled in soul who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. He is and always will be now with us in our sin, in our suffering, and at our death. We are no longer alone. God is with us, and we are no longer homeless. We rejoice Rejoice because Emmanuel has come. And yet every day we plead, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for your grace, which as we look through your story, you demonstrate to us every step of the way. We rebelled, and so you made a promise of one who is to come. And as we see people fall short constantly, wondering where is their hope, you give us little morsels of it, helping us get closer and closer to that truth. And then when we arrive at Christmas Day and we see that you have broken into human history as Emmanuel, God with us, you have kept your promises and you say that as you have done so, that there will be a day when all things are made new, where every tear is wiped away, where death is no more. It's a place where there is no fear or shame or isolation. It's not a place of injustice or brokenness or darkness, but it is a place where we are restored to you as we've been craving throughout human history. You demonstrate your love and your patience and your kindness at every step of the story. And as we are people here who have tasted your goodness, we eagerly long for the day when we fully experience it. And in this Advent season, when it's hard to get courage to dream into the next year, to find joy, you do not diminish the hardships but because we are experiencing them, we crave ever more the hope that is to come, the hope that is certain, the hope that is based off of your first coming, which helps us to know that you will come again. It's to you and you alone that we pray. Amen.